welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello friends, I'm Marcy Farrell from thankfulhomemaker.com and as always I am so thankful to be here with you today and our topic today is looking at what does true biblical friendship look like. Being women, I know that we are all interested in the topic of friendship because we are relational creatures. I'm not saying that men aren't, but there's something in the heart of every Christian woman that desires meaningful, intimate, godly friendships. And my hope today is to point us to the Word of God and what He says about godly friendships. I want to start our time today by digging into God's Word to see what it says about loving one another, because that's really where we need to start always is the Word of God. This is where our true biblical friendship needs to begin. So I'm going to be camping in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And if you have your Bible handy or your phone, Um, Bible app, I'd love you to read along with me if it's possible. Obviously not if you're driving, please don't do that. I'm reading from the NSV. And again, I'm starting in John chapter 15, verse 12, reading through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." One of the things that stood out to me in this text is it begins and ends with a command. So verse 12 starts and says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And verse 17 says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. These verses are put in the imperative mode. An imperative expresses a command in a forceful and confident way. It's something that's very important and not to be avoided. This means it's not optional. It's to be our response no matter how we feel about that particular person. The world would say, how can you command love? But this is a misconception of what true biblical love is, and the world's view is the typical Hollywood romantic type of love. Jesus sees love as far differently. He wouldn't command us to do something that's impossible, right? But how are we to do this? He tells us, as I have loved you. The source of the love of Christ comes from the Father through the indwelling Holy Spirit and the life of a believer. God is love, and since God is love, as we yield to that relationship to the Son, His love flows from us. I'm going to pull out three areas and show the type of love we are to show to one another from those verses. So the first is sacrificial love from verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus lived this out perfectly for us. He laid down his life for us. We too can show no greater love for our friends than to lay down our life for them. 
He's not talking about physical death here, although that may be required of us. The command here the Lord is giving is to do it repeatedly. Laying down our life means to give ourselves up for one another. This is when you go out of your way to meet your friend's need. When you spend time with someone, even though you may not be particularly drawn to them, you're laying down your life and your desires to meet the need of another. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But we realize we can't do that alone because when we're at the center of our life, it's hard to put others first. I get it. I get caught up in this thinking myself. My heart is naturally selfish and desires to meet my needs first and foremost. But when we ask Christ to be the center of our life with the power of the Holy Spirit living through us, Christ can do it for us. And life is so much more fulfilling in being able to do and serve others. It gives us a sense of joy and peace, and that's what Jesus is describing. It is not always to look out for yourself, but willing to lay down part of your life, whether that's your money or your time for someone else. This is the first way love appears. It's a matter of self-denying service. So the second area is from verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is sharing the secrets of his innermost heart with these men. They have become his friends. The first mark of friendship is sharing. We share secrets and opportunities with our friends. Friendship is always marked by the sharing of intimacy. Our Lord tells us here that he shares secrets about his life with his disciples and with us. He shares with them what the Father has told them about death, life, hell, heaven, how to relate to one another, all that has been made known to him from the Father. He has made known to them and to us through his word. This is love. This is life and the body of Christ. All that we are learning about our Lord through his word, we are to share with one another. And we're also to share our struggles, our fears, hopes, and things God has taught us as we go through the trials of this life. Church is different than just another group of people gathering together because we truly share our lives with one another. We bear each other's burdens and share our needs with one another. This is why I take such a strong stand on my soapbox of the importance of making church a priority in the life of your family. If we don't make it a priority to have fellowship with the saints, we are missing out on this important command to love one another through our relationship with other believers. Yes, our immediate family is a priority, but the Lord uses other believers to mold us and shape us and challenge us. We are all so different. There is so much diversity in the body of Christ, and this is a good thing. Don't miss out on this important part of being part of the body of Christ. Definitely get yourself in a local church and make that your home. The last element of love defined in this passage is bearing fruit in one another's lives. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The mark of love he's talking about here is the bearing of fruit by means of prayer. Jesus prayed for his own. The fruit here, the fruit in view here is, as we've seen all along, Christ-likeness. It's the character of Jesus, the compassion, the gentleness, the tenderness, the forgiving quality, the courage, the strength, the beauty, the grace of his life. This is what we are to bear, not only in our own lives, but in one another's lives by means of prayer. 
As we pray for one another, we help each other bear the fruit of Christ-likeness. This is why the epistles remind us to pray for all the saints, to make supplication for one another, to pray for one another. This is the means by which we love one another. And this is our Lord's command. We're not to treat each other with disdain or with separation, but we are to reach out in this way toward one another. Are you struggling in a relationship with someone? The first thing to do is to pray for them. It's really difficult to have sinful feelings towards someone that you are diligently praying for. When we're speaking of another and we say, I can't stand that person and I don't want anything to do with her, that's a violation of our Lord's command to love one another. Love means to give yourself for another, to give of your life and strength and time for another. Love means to share with and teach one another what you've learned, and love means to pray for one another. John tells us that if any man says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar in 1 John 4.20. If we love God, we are also to love one another, even those that may be difficult to love. I mean, think of it this way. Others may consider us difficult to love. This is the great command which makes the difference between the church as a community of those who love each other and the world around us, which essentially neglects and is indifferent to one another. I'm not saying you need to risk being physically abused in a relationship, but even in those situations, you can separate yourself and still have love and forgiveness and be in prayer for that person. And here's the other reality. We we may not be able to have peace with everyone, right? But in Romans, it reminds us that to the best of our ability, we strive to have peace. But I can't control the other person. I can only control my actions. And at the end of that, if they don't want to have contact with you, then you can still be in prayer for that person still and not harbor bitterness because as we're praying for them, the Lord takes away any bitterness or anger or negative feelings that we have towards that person in time. So we must remember these areas of showing love to one another are not possible unless we have been born again. We can't do them or achieve them in our own strength. In our own strength, our desire is to be selfish and only look out for our own needs. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith, and what Jesus did for us on the cross, can we begin to love one another rightly with the same sacrificial love the Lord loves us with. This is our witness, dear sisters, to a lost world around us. I think of the song, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's how the outside world looking into the church body to see our great love for one another. That is a mark of our Christianity. And John 13, 34, 35 tells us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I want to get a bit more practical as to what biblical friendships look like. We've kind of tore apart God's word to see what it means truly to love one another. And that goes for not just the concept of friendship, but even within our homes and our families. And so let's take a peek here now. You may be closer to some friends than to others, but you have a love for each other. And that's because of the common values we share of the love for our Lord and for his word as believers. That's the basis for strong friendships. These principles apply, they can apply, I should say, to our friendship with non-believers too, because in this, we're going to show them Christ's love. And we're going to, that's a great way for us to put the gospel on display, right? As we share with them about Jesus and they see his love being lived out and in, in our lives. And one of the aspects that we have to remember is we need to speak it though too. But so as we're speaking and sharing the gospel with them and they see the fruit of our lives, that's a, that's a beautiful testimony. But many times, I just want to share, come back to our biblical friendships with Christians. Now, many times we get the definition of biblical friendship backwards. 
We can put our own desires for friendship first and look at what the friendship is going to do for me or what blessings will come to us through it. Um, We get a little selfish about it. Those blessings will come as they would with a genuine biblical friendship, but this isn't the view of friendship that is consistent with God's word. Very simply to remember, it's not about us. It's all about him. It's about bringing honor and glory to God. And the one way we do that is by ministering to others when we lay down our own needs to meet the needs of others. And that is the example of what our Lord has done for us. We are to treat others the way the Lord has treated us. So for us to begin with a proper perspective, we need to begin with Jesus. To have true, genuine friendships with others, we must first have a genuine friendship with Jesus, our Savior. And I can't state this enough, ladies. So until we have come to a true saving knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will never be able to rightly relate to one another, no matter what we think. Our friendships will not bear the work of the Holy Spirit and will not rightly be able to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness. We won't bear the fruit of the Spirit in our interaction to one another, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So the most important need we have in having biblical friendships is to know and be known by Jesus, to repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. His sacrifice on the cross for our sins is a picture of what true biblical friendship should be based on. So Jesus' focus was not on himself, but was on coming to minister, to sacrifice for us, and to make it possible for us to not only have salvation, but a different life, one that can bring honor and glory to him. He told us in Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He's the one who gave himself up for us. It's a sacrificial love, a serving love, a giving love, and not because he has anything to gain from it. He's the one doing all the giving. So ladies, if our friendships become a substitute for God in our lives, then it becomes idolatry because we can't expect our friends, and in quotes I'm going to put, or our husbands there, to meet the needs that only God himself can meet. If we begin to do this, it will result in loneliness and much disappointment. The friendship becomes then not what I can give, but what I can get. And when it becomes about not what I can give, but what I can get, it's just going to lead to one big selfish pity party. And God is not going to be honored in that friendship. God's model of friendship is a giving relationship. It is selfless. So in order to be a giver in the relationship, we're going to have to be a learner of our friends. To meet the needs in the lives of others, we need to know those needs, right? In order to do that, we need to be friendly so we can interact with them to even learn of those needs. We need to be friendly and approachable and learn to ask good questions. We need to remember what they share So we can be intentional to follow up on it later. And the best truth to remember in developing good friendships is not to talk too much about yourself. Let others share about what is going on in their lives. Develop good listening skills. Ask the Lord to give us eyes to see the needs of those around us. Once we're aware of the needs of others, ask the Lord to help you to follow through on them. How can we meet those needs? John 15, 13 reminds us, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. We need to recognize that this is an area that's going to take effort, hard work, and perseverance. The big one is it's going to take time. And sometimes that's our hardest thing to give, isn't it? It can sometimes be a little easier to write a check, but how much harder is it to give of our time? That's a sacrifice. One of the greatest questions you can ask your friend is, 
How can I pray for you? And follow through with praying for your friend either right there on the spot in person or if you're on the phone or in your prayer time with the Lord. Make sure you keep that friend on your prayer list and you continue to pray for them for those particular needs that they've shared with you. And then you can follow up and ask them how things are going or how they are doing or send a card or a text or a phone call. As I'm saying this, I don't want you to get a feeling of being overwhelmed and thinking, how am I going to meet all these needs? That thought will make you freeze up and do nothing. You need to be intentionally in prayer and ask the Lord, who are the people he would have you reach out to? We can't meet the needs of everyone, nor by any means were we designed or called to do so. When those people are put in front of you, pray for the perseverance and courage to meet the needs of that particular friend. So as that foundation has been laid before us, let's look together at some ways we can be good friends to each other. John 15, 15 says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus placed a high value on friendship, and so should we. I want to highlight some traits of good friendship taken from a chapter on friends from a book called It's a fun title, Big Girls Don't Wine. It's written by Jan Silvius, and I was first introduced to Jan through some of her teaching series from Preset Ministries. Jan takes us through areas of our lives and discusses how a woman's life who is maturing in the Lord should look in each of those areas. And the one we're obviously going to take a quick overview is what she would call big girl friendships. It's taken from chapter seven of her book, Big Girls Don't Wine. And the subtitle of the chapter says, Living Honestly as a True Friend. So let's, um, I pulled a few points out here. Let's look together at some marks of true biblical friendship, or as Jan calls it, big girl friendship. These are some great characteristics of what we should, des- what we should all desire of the type of friend we want to be to others. So you can always count on a true friend to be there for you in a time of need. She's not going to intentionally speak hurtful words and realizes that in light of Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, we should speak encouraging and kind words to one another, even difficult conversations. And we will have to have them at times, right? That's a reality of our lives. They can still be spoken using words that are kind and loving. So the two words, friend and trustworthy, should always go together. Make sure you are a protector of your friend's privacy and dignity always. It really is learning that we just need to keep our mouth closed at times. We can be a friend who holds someone's confidence. We can be trustworthy. I want to say hold your friends to the truth of God's word. And in that, I'm talking mainly about our relationships with our Christian friends, obviously, through this time together. Good friends will lovingly call you into accountability if you are making poor choices or in sin. And then having friends with different interests and personalities is a good thing. We need diversity. Diversity challenges us and we can learn so much from one another. We don't all think alike. And God gives us much room to vary in areas that are not essential to our Christian beliefs, right? We have the essential things we need to agree on as believers, but there's some room there. There are some gray areas where we are going to differ and think differently, and that's okay. Always remember too, until we've walked in someone's shoes, we truly don't know everything that they're dealing with. We don't know how we would handle things because we're not in the midst of that. We always need to make room and embrace each other's differences. There is much diversity in the family of God, and that is a good thing. I have a quote here from a man named F.R. Andrew, 
And this was just, I just love the quote. So I want to share it with you. He says, the highest privilege there is, is the privilege of being allowed to share another's pain. You talk about your pleasures to your acquaintances. You talk about your troubles to your friends. And I want to remind us here, good friendships are never based on fear and they are free of rejection, abandonment, and criticism. And in the words of William Penn, I love this quote and I'm going to, I want to put this one in the show notes for y'all because I just think it is beautiful. He says, Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping. And then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. You know, I, I myself only have a handful of friends that I can say that about, and that is a gift of the Lord. I'm so thankful. It is true. We will have many acquaintances, but we will have few true friends in our lives. So those are the ones we need to cherish and build those relationships. Ladies, sometimes um, this is an area we can find ourselves in. We think we just need to offer a comment or an opinion on everything a friend says, and then we go and interject our disagreement immediately and I'm so guilty of this, but slowly, slowly learning, (laughs) we can listen without offering a comment. Imagine that. (laughs) Probably this would work well with our husbands too, right? Let our friend talk and express her opinion. And sometimes people just need a listening, loving, compassionate heart. And leaving you with this little chapter from Jan on some of the stuff she shared I want to quote directly from her on this one. She says, God is the only friend who is always there, who always has your best interests in his heart, who is always behind the scenes working everything together for good. I so, so love that quote. So I want to close today with a favorite passage of mine. And within that Titus 2 passage, I know this is a passage we all hear all the time, but I I do love this passage. I love all of God's word, but this is one that we just seem to come back to um, quite frequently. There's just there's a valuable word of exhortation in it that should be a vital aspect to our friendships that I want to, to pull out here. So in Titus 2, verse 5, it says, Encourage the young woman to be sensible. And this one little word is packed with meaning. It's the Greek word sophron, or it means to be of sound mind, self-controlled, temperate, to operate with this mindset is to use wisdom, taking the knowledge of the word of God and applying it practically to the demands of daily life in order to live life to God's glory. To be a Sophron woman means that your behavior is directed by God's truth rather than driven by your emotions. So when faced with challenging circumstances, the tendency for most women is to react, not in wisdom, but we tend to react with our emotions, right? But this is where being a Titus 2 friend can be helpful because we want to respond with the wisdom, taking the knowledge of the word of God and applying it, right? So a Titus 2 friend would demonstrate these qualities. And I just love this list, ladies. Let's go through some of these. A listening ear, an open heart, tenderness, confidentiality, loyalty, humility, sensitivity to the spirit, devotion, a sense of humor, and especially a willingness to laugh at yourself, grace for life's interruptions, a heart that forgives quickly and frequently. And as I say that, we need to remind ourselves continually, we need to forgive much because we have been forgiven much in Christ, right? Letting go of things that don't really matter while holding on to things that do, patience, forgetting the worst and remembering the best, 
humbly confronting when necessary, humbly is a key word there, speaking truth in love always, serving as a faithful encourager, taking time to cultivate a long history together. What a beautiful gift. And especially I think of my friends that I have had for a long time. What a beautiful gift that is. My last point here, commitment to prayerful intercession. We need to be praying for one another. Those are beautiful qualities of a a biblical friendship. Ask the Lord, ladies, to bring friends into your life who will point you to truth when you are struggling, who will love you and offer you grace and mercy. Pray for those kinds of friends in your life. And don't wait for this kind of person to befriend you, though. Take the first step by asking God to lead you to someone who needs a friend and be this kind of friend to them. But the real definition of a true friend comes from the Apostle Paul. In Romans 5, 7-8, he tells us, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in John 15, 13, he tells us, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That is true friendship. Let me leave you with a quote here from, it was a great book about friendship by a man named Jonathan Holmes. It's H-O-L-M-E-S, and it's called The Company We Keep, short little book, one I recommend to read to. I just think it's a great little um, little read. He says, friendship, friendship isn't so much a series of things we need to do. Friendship is more about who we need to be. So ladies, remember always, Jesus is enough. And I thank you, friends, for taking the time to tune into Thankful Homemaker today for more posts or to contact me or where to find me on social media. And for the show notes, please head over to my little home on the web, thankfulhomemaker.com. If you enjoyed this podcast today, I'd love you to head over to iTunes or Google Play and subscribe. Have a blessed week, ladies. Mm-hmm.